Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Career Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Adela. And on today's episode, we have Dr. Sharag Shamasian, and he is the founder and CEO of Shamasian Academic Consulting. We talk all about his journey from starting, studying human development to going into clinical psychology, and then starting almost by accident, a side hustle of academic consulting, where people would come to him and ask how to get into all different types of programs, undergraduate college programs, graduate programs, medical school, all of those. And he really realized that he had a talent, um, the skills and a passion for helping people get into those programs. And so We talk a little bit more about med school and clinical psych in this episode, but he offers a ton of advice on how to get into just any programs, how to overcome imposter syndrome in order to apply to different programs. So if you are trying to get into some type of college, so whether it's undergraduate, grad school, med school, law school, et cetera, this is the episode for you. So without further ado, please enjoy Dr. Shirag Shamasian. everyone, welcome to the Career Journey Podcast, where we explore exciting careers and how to get them from the people who flipped it. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Avila. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy. One of the reasons I was so excited to have you on this podcast today is we actually share a little bit of a similar trajectory in our careers. Like we don't have the exact same, but it's very close. So if I'm understanding correctly, you have a degree in human development and then clinical psychology. And now you kind of run this whole empire with academic admissions. Uh, All true. I don't know (laughs) if I call it an empire, but otherwise, uh, otherwise, yes. (laughs) Awesome. So I, my degree is in developmental psychology. Nice. And then I do academic advising. So exactly. Not exactly the same thing, but close. Um, Sure, sure, sure. So can you walk us through how you went through that much change from human development to clinical psych to now academic admissions? Yeah. You know, in in hindsight, it kind of makes sense. Uh, (laughs) In the process, it certainly, you know, it wasn't this deliberate, uh, you know, decision. And, you know, when I was in high school and even growing up, you know, I, I was the child of two immigrant parents, uh, Armenian immigrant parents who came here from Lebanon, and they were huge on education. It's the reason why my parents were able to come to this country. And so they were always preaching, you know, go to great schools, you know, get great grades, get a wonderful job that pays a good salary and benefits and all this kind of stuff, except we didn't have anyone telling us how to do it. You know, yeah. so when we got to high school, it was like, all right, mom, dad, like, how do I do this? They're like, I don't know, like, figure it out. We didn't go to school here. And so, you know, I wanted to go to a great school and I was self-taught in that. And I was able to go to Cornell, which I, which I absolutely loved. And I was, you know, pre-med the whole time, but I was getting involved in a lot of mental health work, uh, both in research and service and what have you. And so when I was done with college, I actually I decided to pivot, you know, I had done very well in college, but rather than go to medical school, I decided to uh, get my PhD in clinical psychology that also brought me back uh, to Los Angeles and allowed me to stay there. So I went to UCLA for school and, you know, along the way, I was just helping a lot of other people, you know, get into great colleges because, 
you know, I found that I wasn't the only one who had aspirations to get into these great schools and who also lacked the knowledge or the mentorship to get there. <laughs> a lot right? of people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so for, you know, a lot of people, first off, they think they look around their community and they see people going to X, Y, and Z program. And they think, oh, that's where kids like me go. And that's where kids in my community go. And so they limit themselves, I think, to those opportunities. But when someone starts asking the questions of, well, what about that school? No one from my high school goes there, but what about that place? Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes that's just kind of a black box for people. And so I had a lot of people asking me for help on how to get into these programs. There weren't internet resources. You have to go to Barnes and Nobles and grab a book and read it. And hopefully you figure it out, you know, but most people weren't able to. And so that just sort of grew over time. And, you know, in grad school, I also caught a little bit of an entrepreneurial bug. I was like, Ooh, I want to kind of start my own thing. Um, I, I was, I was thinking of, Oh, people already asked me for help with this. You know, maybe I could do it, you know, in a, in a more professional way and do it with more people. And that's really how it was born. And, you know, over time, it just snowballed from there and producing a lot of content. And now the content online is very popular, but, you know, it went from fully word of mouth. It was like, oh, could you also help my friend's cousin? And yeah. eventually I started writing stuff because I want to give people something to read before I spoke with them and there were no good resources. So I started writing them and then strangers started coming my way. And I'm like, <laughs> who are you? You're not the cousin's friend anymore. <laughs> And they're like, oh, I read this thing. And I'm like, what? Like there's a, you know, Google like doesn't just randomly spit stuff out. It's a very deliberate thing that they go through yeah. to, you know, to list out whose, you know, guides are online. And, and that just really changed things. But it wasn't, you know, it was not a situation where I was, you know, seven years old. Someone asked me, what do I want to be when I grow up? And <laughs> I didn't say, I want to help people get into medical school. Like it, it's right. not like that. I don't think any kid. I was going to say, I don't know yeah. if anybody does dreams of that. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, I want to, I want to meet a kid like that if they exist. Um, you know, <laughs> I was trying to be on the Lakers and join the NBA, but then I realized, you know, I looked at my parents. I'm like, I'm probably not going to be that tall. Right. Uh, I don't see any Armenians <laughs> in the NBA. Probably not. But um, so, you know, that's when I started getting more and more serious about school, but yeah, that's how I got to where I am today. Okay. And so you were doing that while you were in graduate school? Yeah. I mean, I was assisting students, uh, you know, during college and in grad school and beyond, but, but as far as, you know, doing it in, you know, with the organization that we have now, um, you know, obviously that was within the last decade. And so, but helping students for a long, long time. And it's just been an extreme like passion of mine because it wasn't just this thing where it's like, oh, people ask me for my help and sounds good, I'll do it. No, it was something that I really, really enjoyed and, and still mm -hmm. to this day do because, you know, I went to a very small Armenian high school in Los Angeles and, you know, all of my teachers were immigrants or 90% of them, college counselor was an immigrant, all this kind of stuff. So I came from a community where you didn't really have access to mentors who had done it or who had helped other people make it happen. And so it was a really big thing for me of, you know, I saw the doors it was opening for me and others who were coming to me. And so just figuring out a way to give people the educational and career opportunities that they otherwise might not have is something that has driven me for a long, long time. And you know, just growing up, like I said, as the kid of immigrants and someone with Tourette's syndrome who, you know, some of the explicit or implicit messaging is, well, right. those programs are not necessarily for people like you uh, yeah. for one reason or another. It just really just drove me to, to push hard and to help other people achieve similar results. Great. And then 
so did you start this, you were starting this as you were going to school, kind of at least this academic advising or advising to get into school. Did that become kind of a full-blown thing where you started doing that mostly, or did you go into still clinical psychology that you were studying? Yeah, no, this was all, so it was, it started out really as a labor of love. Like I said, you know, other people were like, Hey, I want to get into schools and you got a full ride. Like, how do I do that? You know? And so it was a lot of effort in helping people and just, you know, honing my skill set, but only because I wanted to just help other people get in. There was no, there was no plan. There was no plan Mm -hmm. to, you know, have a, have a business. There was no plan to, you know, serve X number of people. It wasn't like that. It was just wanting to do it because I enjoyed it. And when I was starting to read more about, you know, things like personal finance and personal development and all this kind of stuff uh, during grad school. And that's when I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll start my own thing one day. What would I do it? And oh, maybe this thing I already do all the time. Right. And that's where it sort of grew. But no, I was, you know, I worked in clinical psychology. I used to develop psychological tests. I used to see patients in that field and all the while, you know, working on this and developing content for people. Um, it's really after, like I said, it was snowballing and just reaching more and more people and just loving every part of it because it changes, right? You love the work, you love helping students, but then other things get really interesting too. Like what, how do you produce the best materials for students? Yeah. And, you know, how do you figure out, you know, how to deliver content in the most effect? Now we work a lot in video and it's like, how do you, so there's always a different, even though the, the core of it is still education and admissions and career advancement and all those different things how you go about doing it and the different sort of like levers you pull and the knobs you play with that always changes. And so it just keeps it really, really fresh and interesting. That's exciting. And then I know, so I have a lot of students that are actually trying to get into exactly what you're saying, pre-med programs, med sure. school, clinical psychology is really big because I'm a psychology professor. Yeah. Um, so we'll, let's just kind of dive into some advice for those admissions processes, if you don't mind, what, what exactly do you do kind of on a daily basis to help students in either these areas, or if it's easier narrowing it down to maybe like one area? Yeah, sure. I mean, let's talk, maybe we can isolate like medical school admissions, because that's what I spend the most time uh, with. And um, I can talk about this for days and days and days, (laughs) but we we won't, uh, we won't do days and days. But so with medical school admissions, it's a very different, just to orient folks here, it's very different than traditional college admissions Yeah. because with college admissions, you know, we live in a country where we have, I don't know the number, the current number, it's like 4,000 plus institutions. And then there are community colleges and all that kind of stuff. For most people, it's not a question of, for someone who wants to go to college and it has decided to go to college, it's not a question of if they will get in somewhere. It's a question of where usually. Okay. And with medical school, it is a question of if for most people, which can be so, really frightening, <laughs> which is crazy scary. Yeah. Right? So, and then there are two kinds of medical school programs that are MD and DO programs, but MD is what we traditionally think of for, for medical school admissions and around 40% of people who apply, get into even one school, okay. meaning almost 60% of people don't get in anywhere, anywhere. So it's a completely different experience than college admissions and college admissions, whether you go to school A or school B, you can still pursue different majors, get different jobs, whatever. If you don't get into medical school, you can't be a doctor. 
Right. So it's not a question of, oh, I'll just be a, a different doctor. No, like you cannot be a physician if you don't get in. So it's a, if you will get in anywhere and if you don't, well, better change your plan. So it's a really daunting experience for a lot of people. The value proposition is extremely different. And so, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what do we do? I mean, really every single aspect of medical school admissions. So we support students who just finished high school. It's their summer before uh, freshman year. And we assist them with identifying and, you know, securing shadowing experiences so they can shadow physicians, see if they like that work, help them identify, you know, researchers at their university uh, whose labs they should join in areas of interest, how to deepen those experiences, when and how to ask about developing an independent research project, what should they be focusing that project on, when to get, you know, patient exposure experiences, how to get those, should you work in, uh, you know, at a crisis tech line? should you work as an EMT, like an emergency medical technician, how should you go about doing this? But not just getting a bunch of experiences where you check boxes, but making sure that all the narrative fits together. Right. Because if you start, look, Dr. Avila, like if we, <laughs> if we start looking at a student who, you know, did research on, you know, Alzheimer's, you know, was doing a lot of brain imaging work, their community service was, you know, community cleanup or something. And then they, you know, their patient exposure work with, with, was with kids. If I tell you what unifies these experiences for this person, what is it, what are they all about? You're going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they did a bunch of good things, but I don't know what makes this person actually tick. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And so our job is to make sure that we understand your interests very deeply and the opportunities that might be available to you and help you pursue the right ones and in a way that will eventually lead to a really compelling application and great essays and whatnot. And okay. over time, of course, assisting you with identifying the right rec letters, whom to build relationships with, prepping for the MCAT, which is like the SAT or ACT, but for medical yeah. school, assisting with essay development, interview prep, the whole nine yards. So it's a very intensive process that goes across years. Wow. That sounds just <laughs> extremely helpful. Um, I couldn't imagine going through all these processes with that kind of help. It would have been amazing. Yeah. Um, not that I ever went to medical school, but even just graduate school, Same. somebody to help me do all of that stuff would have been phenomenal. So you said that you start helping people kind of their freshman year of college or even before they get to their freshman year. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend for like certain grad programs or medical school, do they need to start that early? What happens if somebody's first generation student had no idea what they were supposed to do. And it's like their junior or senior year. Do they still have things that they can do an opportunity or? Oh, for sure. There's always something to maximize no matter when you begin. So, you know, for, we get students all the time who it's two months before the application opens (laughs) or a month and they're like, ah, you know, here's, here's what I did. (laughs) <laughs> now I want to get in. Can you know? And that's fine. Obviously, we're are we're a little bit at the mercy of what they've done. So if they right. didn't pursue the right extracurriculars and things like that, like there's only so much we can do. We can assist with extracurriculars moving forward, essays, you know, advising on rec letters, school lists, and all that kind of stuff. But some students did do it right, and they pursued it the right way, and they come and they said, "This is what I've done," and I'm like. Uh, like, this is awesome. You know, like it looks great. Um, and, and everything in between. Right. But when students come to us earlier, 
it assures that we can avoid the former situation. In other words, right. if we can support you year over year, it's less likely we're going to be in a situation where we say, oh, you're missing. There's this big hole in your application because that's mm -hmm. something we would have thought about years in advance and taken care of. So it's okay for someone to come to us later. The, the issue is that we're going to have far less control or influence over you know, what they might have done. Yeah. And I assume that happens a lot that people come to you with maybe this big gaping hole yeah. um, or things like that. What do you usually advise in those situations? Do you recommend like gap years where they can get more experience or do you just work with what they have and try to get them in with that or a little bit of both? All of those things. It depends, <laughs> right? Because some people, so it goes, it goes different ways, right? There are some people who want to optimize for time meaning they want to you know get their medical degree in the fewest number of years right and so they're like look i don't want to take an extra year i want to apply now and sometimes you know a lot of times it's like sounds good i mean i think that you have what it takes to apply other times you have to have a really hard conversation of saying look here's how i see your chances right now and i know you're optimizing for time but there are these there are some serious holes. Do I think it's possible that you might get into a school? Sure. Do I think that you'll be way stronger the year after? Yes. <laughs> what you do, whatever you decide, I'm happy to support you. But I always like to basically show them what the deal is, what, what the landscape like, yeah. is, and for them to make that decision with, you know, with consultation from their family. And, and then some people I say, I just don't think you're going to get in this year. I just don't see a way. And I, I hate delivering that news, but it's, yeah. you know, it's our responsibility ethically and otherwise to, to, to give people that bad news when, when we need to, but then there are other people on the complete other end of the spectrum where they have what it takes and they don't think they do mm. because they hear these numbers, 60% don't get in anywhere. Yeah. I know such and such you know, who like me, they're also six foot two. They like to wear red, <laughs> red, red pants and, you know, they didn't get in. So why, you know, this kind, I, I'm making a joke out of it, of course, but in other words, they look to other examples of people who didn't get in and they think, well, I can, but we don't know why they didn't get in. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I know their numbers, but I don't know how strong their rec letters were. I don't know how they interview. I don't know anything about this other person. So a lot of what I do also is encourage people to, to buy into the idea that they can't. And I can't tell you every single year, oh my gosh, you were right. You know, like <laughs> I did get in. Thank you for pushing me and all this kind of stuff. And that's true, whether you're talking about in the undergrad space or the med space, yeah. right? In undergrad, it's usually, uh, I don't know if I can ever get into a school in this tier. And so they might not apply. And our job is to say, no, like you have to actually try because otherwise self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. What if you did? What's the worst second that, you know, let's go for it. And so with medical school, we have this conversation all the time. Sometimes we advocate for gap years. Other times we say, I just don't see a gap year helping that much. You're ready now. They're like, but I don't know. And it's like, no, I promise, you know. And so it just depends on the situation. Yeah, I definitely see that imposter syndrome in a lot of students. I have it's actually one of the, I think the most rewarding parts of my job in academic advising is sure. helping students realize that they can. I had a student last year that wanted to apply to clinical psychology programs 
And clinical psychology, you know, is a very competitive graduate Notoriously program as difficult. well. Yeah. Um, and they didn't think they had anything to offer and they were actually deciding not to apply. And I got to encourage them and say, I actually think you have a really good resume. You should apply. And they sure. got in the first year that they did it. And so that encouraging, I think, is sure. a really fun part of this job. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, clinical psych programs. You're right. I mean, a lot of top PhD programs, their acceptance rates are like fewer than 3% and people yeah. don't realize just how insane they are. And again, same thing, you know, I don't think that I can get in and I don't know if I'm going to apply, but maybe not that school and all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, encouragement is, uh, you know, is just critical. Yeah. Um, what other kind of things do you do in this job. So you encourage people to apply to programs, you help people get into both undergraduate programs and graduate programs. Is that the bulk? You said you also probably do a lot of content type stuff, right? You said that you're now switching to a lot of video. What's that part of the, the career like? Yeah, sure. As far as the work that I do, I mean, there's the day-to-day, -day, you know, student work of actually helping people get into these types of programs. But you know, back in the day, one of the big things that drove me was making information accessible to people. And, you know, going back to something I brought up earlier, you know, when I was starting to help more people, I found that a lot of the folks I was supporting were coming in with the same informational gaps, right? And mm -hmm. you were always starting from a similar place of educating about you know, what's the timeline look like for this application process or how should you go about writing your essay? And I found myself, you know, wanting to give people resources like, hey, read this before you talk to me. Yeah. But when I searched for it, it was all just like tips. And I'm someone who just hates lists of tips. <laughs> Like, you know, how to write a personal Tell statement. Tell me how to actually write. Yeah, like, like tip one, like be yourself. Tip two, <laughs> like show, don't tell. Tip three, yeah. like whatever. And then like, okay, everyone's like, yay, I read these tips. And then you pull up a blank Google Doc or a Word document and those tips are meaningless because you're still someone who is, has a resume on one side, has a blank screen on the other side. You're like... You're looking left, you're looking right, and you have no idea what to do. Yeah. And so you end up falling into the trap of like just regurgitating your resume, but in the paragraph form. And so years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to write something. I think it'll be valuable to people. And that's actually the stuff that really just allowed things to grow much more rapidly as far as, you know, people learning about our support when we had no personal connection to them through the cousin or the friend or whatever. And so I was like, okay. And then when people said, oh, I found your stuff online. That's why I found you. I was like, okay, something's going on here. I should dive deeper into this. And so we started producing tons of resources. So, you know, we were developing that. And then, you know, we're, a lot more people were coming to our site. And about two years ago, I said, all right, like, you know, we should, we should also do video. I think it's a more engaging way to do it. Obviously, a lot of content development is heading in that direction. People want that kind of engagement. And so we started working on that. So you know, started, uh, you know, producing content. It used to be, we would, you know, I would write a piece when, when I had the time versus now we, you know, publish like two guides a week oh, wow. on our site and at least one video a week, you know? 
And so we do that. And it's a lot of work thinking about what topics you want to write about the experience someone's going to have when watching the video, all these kinds of things. And so working on that and setting those agendas, now working on not only one-on-one service delivery, but developing courses. So we tutor the MCAT and our students have wild success with it. And so we're like, well, we should probably make things a little bit more accessible too, because not everyone's can afford one-on-one tutoring. And some people want, you know, a different self-guided experience, even if they can afford it. So developing, you know, video courses, but it's, but the MCAT is a huge test. So you have to develop, (laughs) you know, it's like months and months and months of content development. You know, we wrote every guide on the site for every area of the MCAT. Dr. Avila took a year and a half to get it done. Oh, I bet. (laughs) Um, Because it's all like nerdy science, like 70 chapters and now converting those to video. I mean, it's just like a monstrous amount of work. And so, you know, leading those kinds of initiatives, thinking about, you know, we, a few months back, we announced an initiative to help students from minority and low-income backgrounds get into medical school and pledged a hundred thousand dollars. And now thinking, you know, thinking about the different players in that and, you know, how do we, how do you allocate? It's one thing to say we're devoting X dollars, (laughs) but, you know, knowing how to disperse that and, you know, who gets access to that? Is that equitable? Is that some of those challenges? These are questions I wrestle with today. So I think this work has just taken me in different directions and taken our group in different directions. And it's, it's exciting. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, it turned from just, you know, day to day, just like reviewing essay, talking to people, whatever, to seeing how we can impact more people through uh, free resources, lower cost resources, um, and just like more flexible ways of accessing help uh, is something that I think about a lot now. That's great. And I know you have that video series for kind of the MCAT. Are you developing that for any other, like the GRE or any or SAT and things like that? Yeah. I mean, those are, those are things that we've definitely thought about. The SAT and the ACT are so interesting because, you know, as the schools have gotten test optional, I don't necessarily see it going back to test required. And so we just have to, you know, watch what that looks like over time. GRE is interesting because some of our our students do apply to like master's programs before they go to medical school. So that's something that we have been thinking about, um, you know, more seriously. Uh, I'm the type of person who, you know, I want to like master one thing before I move on. And that might mean a little bit slower (laughs) movement sometimes, but I also I'd rather get it right, you know. Um, And it's something, and we want to make sure to become experts at, you know, course delivery and course experience and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, and then we'll think about, you know, other things that we might want to add on, but, you know, even medical school interview coaching courses, or there's a test that you have to do for medical school called Casper, which is like a situational judgment test, you know, where you watch these ethical scenarios and you have to answer questions. And that also requires prep and how to think and what have you. And so there are so many opportunities for developing resources about this stuff too. Um, I'll put it to you this way. We're not, we don't have a shortage of ideas and things to work on. It's (laughs) a question of like prioritization (laughs) and, and, you know, you know, you're a, you're a mom uh, and uh, you know, I'm a dad and, you know, uh, balancing, you know, (laughs) yes. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you, how do you do that? You know, what is it? People talk about work-life balance. I'm not going to pretend like I I achieved that or I'm a model of that, but it's something that I, I think about a lot. Yeah. Um, well, I do know there's a huge market out here for this, just in general, sure. talking to students every day, this type of content is exactly what they're searching for. So yeah. um, I hope it gets bigger. Um, but obviously, like you said, I do understand work-life balance is a really hard thing yeah, yeah. Thank you. to accommodate. 
Um, so the last question I usually ask on this podcast is kind of a tricky one because you're trying to, I try to boil everything down to one piece of advice. So for students um, trying to apply to programs or people starting a career, what is kind of your one big piece of advice that you would give? It's, it's a mindset piece of advice mm-hmm. um, because, you know, going back to something we talked about earlier about how, you know, a lot of people just don't believe that going to great schools or getting certain jobs is in it for them. It's just challenging yourself to think like, what if, what if it did work out? Right. Because I find that there are always students who could have been successful if they had applied or people who came in thinking they couldn't, but they did. And they're like, Oh my goodness. So I just want to cast, I want to plant a seed of doubt in everyone's mind and not the, not the bad kind of doubt, but the seed of doubt that challenges their own thinking about, you know, certain schools or professions being reserved for quote unquote others, whoever others might be to them, people who don't come from minority backgrounds, who have higher income, whose parents went to that, whatever the case might be. I want them to question that type of limit, you know, limited thinking. Uh, and, and I think good things happen uh, when you challenge yourself in that way. So that's my yeah. piece of advice. I love it. That's one of my pieces of advice is always let other people tell you no, sure. um, which is very similar to that of don't limit yourself, apply for it, and then let the world figure out whether you were meant for it or not. Sure. So I love that advice a lot. <laughs> um, well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Always uh, enjoyed these conversations. Thank you for listening to the Career Journey Podcast. Head over to our website at careerjourneypodcast.com for more information and the latest episodes. See you next time.